Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Let's turn to Mark chapter 14 this morning as we continue our study of seeing what our Lord Jesus had to say as he's in the last, really, the, they've had the last supper already. We saw last week they crossed over the Kidron Valley over to the Mount of Olives. And they're there in the place Gethsemane. For today's study, this is a part where Judas is going to come and betray Jesus. All four of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us about this night. But they tell us from different gospel writers' perspectives. And John Mark, this young man who wrote the gospel of Mark, he wasn't actually there. Where did he get his info from? Peter. And I have to point this out because... We're leading up to the point where Peter is actually going to deny the Lord three times in this very night that he knows Jesus before the cock crows twice. So this is that night. Just to put you into the story, this is the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed. And so Jesus has just had this meal with his disciples. They have lamb. They have unleavened bread. They have bitter herbs. All of these things were very symbolic to the Jews. You know, the bitter herbs were representing the bitterness of their bondage in Egypt. The unleavened bread, this bread that doesn't even have time to rise. They were told basically, eat this whole lamb because this is your last night in Egypt. God, he's going to break Pharaoh's back. He's going to make him let go of my people. And that night was the night that death passed through the whole land of the Egyptians. Now, they were supposed to remember this. This is one of the Jewish feasts that God's instituted and said, from this day forward, every year you are to remember what I did for you. You're supposed to take this meal to remind you. And Jesus, he sat at that meal, what is one of the most symbolic meals to the Jews, and said, this guy's, he took bread, that unleavened bread. He said, this is my body. It's broken for you. And then he took the cup. He said, this is a cup of a new covenant in my blood. Drink of it. He says, this is for the remission, the re complete removal of your sins. Not to cover up your sin, by the way, to remove it, to make you clean. Now, I love celebrating communion because it reminds me that the Lord went to great lengths to make me clean. But this night, we saw last week that he was there fervently praying with his disciples in Gethsemane. He had told that Peter and James and John, wait here and pray with me. But they just ate. They just ate a bunch of lamb. In fact, they, what was the rule? How much lamb did you leave over? None. Forget turkey coma, Thanksgiving time. This is going to be like fat galore. You're just going to hit your system and, oh, and it's late. In Matthew's gospel, we just studied it recently, so I won't bore you with all of it, but the details that Matthew brings out is this is a place Jesus would go and bring the disciples to. And Judas, Matthew says, Judas knew the spot. Here in Mark's gospel, it says that in verse 42, Arise, Jesus said, let us go. He had woke them up for the third time. You guys can't even wait an hour to pray. They were all, we're tired, Lord. You know, wake up, guys. The one who betrays me, Jesus says, is at hand. Here comes the betrayer. Now, did Jesus know who would betray him? Yes. 
And so then immediately it says, verse 43, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a multitude with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now, he who was betraying Jesus had given them a signal saying, whomever I shall kiss, he is the one, seize him and lead him away under guard. Whoever I kiss, that's the guy. And then it says, after coming, it says he immediately went up to Jesus and said to him, Rabbi, that means teacher in Hebrew, and he kissed him. And then they laid hands on him and seized him. But a certain one of those that stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. A certain one that John Mark is telling us is Peter. I know because I read in John's gospel, it says Peter did it. Okay. John didn't mind thinking on him, but, but when John Mark is writing this, he's like, Peter's probably going, don't say my name, just say a certain guy. We don't really need to mention any names that I'm the one that lopped off the, the high priest servant's ear. Now, John, John and James, these two were the sons of Zebedee. Zebedee was a fisherman. And Zebedee, his fish, his salt fish, is actually, this is what's really interesting. John knew who the high priest was. And I didn't know this till I went to Israel and I was there with one of the, the Jewish guides and he wanted to point out something of interest to me. He took me to where the high priest's house was near the Temple Mount. And it's in the old city of Jerusalem and the, you know, real close to the Temple Mount. I mean, he had like, we would say first rate digs that he's so close to where the temple was and everything. But it has the home of the high priest and right next door, carved into the stone, it says, the fish of Zebedee in Hebrew. It'd be like us putting our sign up, fish market or Zebedee's fish here. And it's right next door to the high priest. And the Jewish guide that we were with was going, you know that the high priest, we have, this is in our writings, not in you guys' thing, but that the high priest liked the fish, the salt fish, what was caught in the Sea of Galilee. They would pack it in salt to keep it preserved and bring it down to Jerusalem. And it would be sold right next door to the high priest. So this is the Jewish guy giving me his perspective. He's reading the Gospels. He doesn't really care about Jesus or anything. He just wants to point out the little interpersonal things. He's like, you notice how John names the servant who got his ear? Malchus was his name. He names the guy. How did he know the servant of the high priest? Who do you think's job it was when he was younger to go get the fish to give to the servant of the high priest so the high priest would get some fish from the fish vendor next door. And the Jewish guide told us that it's written in their writings that the high priest had a hankering, that's his words, for the fish that the sons of Zebedee brought down from the Sea of Galilee. He liked that fish. And I was like, oh, interesting. So he knows the fella. John, when he writes about this guy, he says, first off, it's Peter who lopped his ear off. And it was Malchus. Peter doesn't seem to know the servant's name. Or maybe he doesn't want to mention any names. He didn't mention his own name. He didn't say it was me that lopped off the ear. And he doesn't mention the guy's name whose ear he lopped off. But let me show you something in Luke's gospel this morning. Now, if you want, I'll tell you where these passages are. And you can read them for extra credit in your evening reading tonight. Just to give you this, in Luke's gospel, in chapter 22... 
in verse 47, it says, while Jesus was still speaking, behold, the multitude came and the one called Judas, one of the 12 was preceding them. And as he approached Jesus to kiss him, Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? Did Jesus know what was going on? Down to the very details that he had made an agreement that he would show the guys who Jesus is. When he kissed him, they would know that's the guy to seize. By the way, what was Luke's occupation before he followed Jesus again? He was a doctor. Luke is the only one, by the way, who mentions this one little detail. They all mention Peter, well, not possibly by name, but they all mention that one of the 12 grabbed the sword to defend Jesus. That one guy, we know him, man. He's the one who says, I won't deny you, Lord. I'll go with you to death. I'm your bodyguard, man. I'm going to take care of you. And he whips out a sword. Now that he's a great swordsman, right? he was a fisherman. But, you know, fishermen could be pretty good with a blade. But he swipes and off goes Malchus's ear. Luke, the physician, notice what he throws into the story. I love this part. Then it says, when those that were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, we shall strike with the sword. And a certain one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Well, we even know which side. Only a doctor would put these details. In your report, what was the ailment? Oh, it was his right ear got lopped off. You know, doctors, they put down these things in their chronicling. But Jesus answered them, and he said, Stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear, and he healed them. Now, I read this, and I just think, okay, the guy's ear gets lopped off. Here's Jesus. Picks it up. Dusts it off. Puts it back on, right? I mean, he heals him, so he's got to put the ear back. I don't know if you ever think like this. I always try to put myself in the story. I'm watching. The ear goes flying. Peter's all gung-ho. I got it, Lord. I got you. And there goes the ear, and Jesus stops. Picks up the ear. And puts the ear back. Now, you're the servant of the high priest, and your ear just got lopped off. And you're there. Who's given the order to go arrest Jesus? Who was it that wanted to get him? The high priest. You're the servant of the high priest. Your ear gets lopped off. And Jesus, the guy you're supposed to arrest, he's healing you. He's helping you. How much does this make you want to arrest him? Probably not so much. But you're going, wait a minute. You know, if he's such a bad guy, why did he put my ear back on? I'm sure that this all will weave into the story, things we don't even have recorded for us in the Bible. I'm, I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm going to, hey, Malchus, so how'd you feel about this whole betraying Jesus thing after that? But both the Gospel of Mark and Matthew and Luke, they leave out a detail that John points out that I cannot tell you. This is one part that shows me how much Jesus cared for his disciples how much he looked after them and how much he came to be the sacrifice for our sin knowing what he was doing and he stopped peter stop peter i don't need you to fight for me okay john's gospel tells us something that the other gospel writers don't let me show you this turn to john chapter 18 
It starts off saying, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the ravine of the Kidron, the little Kidron Valley, where there was a garden into which he himself entered with his disciples. Now Judas, it says, also who was betraying Jesus, knew the place, for he had often met there with his disciples. Verse 3 says of John 18, Judas then, having received the Roman cohort, came, and the officers and the chief priests and the Pharisees came with their lanterns and torches and weapons. And Jesus, therefore, knowing all things. I like that John puts this in. How many things did Jesus know? All things. If you wonder why I'm so angry that this History Channel keeps portraying Jesus as a bumbling idiot, it's because they really disgraced the book. This book, the Bible, says Jesus knew who was going to betray him. He knew who was going to deny him. He knew all the details. He knew where the upper room was. He knew how to get his boys to get to the upper room to get the room ready for the Passover. He knew all these things, and yet the world tries to portray Jesus as he knew nothing. He was just a man who didn't, he's making it up as he goes, no, I'm sorry. He knew all things because he was the word of God. It says in John chapter one, in the beginning was the word, the Logos, and the word became flesh. And it dwelt among us and we beheld him full of grace and truth. Jesus, this word that was in the beginning, it was with God and it was, it was God. John says, Jesus, knowing all things, he says to them, he says, whom do you seek? And they answered, Jesus, the Nazarene. And he said to them, I am. Now your Bible might have in italicized letters or maybe it's in parentheses, the word he, I am he, like to make it sound like good English, but it's actually just written in, in the Greek, I am. And you say, what, what? I am? What's that got to do with anything? I am. I mean, when you're God, what else, what title do you need? I mean, I am the greatest. I am God of all the universe. I am just, I am that I am. That's it. No extra needing, you know, foofiness or anything. He just says, says it like it is. I'm God. When Jesus said, I am, just to let you know. Remember, it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. They never put this in the movie. It frustrates me to tears. What happened when he said, I am? They fell back. As soon as he said, I, I, I just picture this in your mind. The words come out of Jesus' lips. Who are you guys looking for? They said, Jesus, the Nazarene. He goes, I am. As soon as those words come out of his mouth, I'd like to see, you know how Hollywood can do the special effects, like the wong, you know. At like a force field i could just see the words coming out i am and what happens to the guys it says here that they drew back and fell to the ground just the words i am he's saying i am what god just to get this straight as soon as he says this what happens to all the fellas you know the big tough guys boom they go down on the ground they don't ever show that in the movie. Don't you think that would be a nice touch? Wouldn't that make the movie a little bit better? And then, oh, oh, let's look at this. This is even better. Again, therefore, now look at verse 7. Again, therefore, he said, whom do you seek? 
Now I can just see them trying to get up and dust themselves off. And uh, maybe this time they're like, um, uh, uh, Jesus? Nazarene? And he said, I told you that I am. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. The word what might be fulfilled of which he spoke, of those whom thou hast given me, I have lost not one. And then it says, John telling on Peter, and Simon Peter, therefore having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. Jesus therefore said to Peter, put that sword in the sheath, the cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Now Jesus, not one of the ones given to him, he says, would he lose. Not one would be lost. He's going to protect them. But I don't know, for some reason they don't show this in the movie, his hand of protection. You know, when they come to arrest him, he's like, look, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus, I am. Boom, they all hit the ground. Who are you looking for? I am. They're probably going, duck. Let's get this straight. I'll go with you. These all go free. And while he's saying, he's already got it covered. I didn't even know why Peter jumped in. The whole guy's there to arrest Jesus. They all just fell on the ground. And all Jesus had to do was say two words. I am. I mean, all he had to do was just do another I am. Boom, they fall again. This is fun. Get up, guys. I am. Boom. <laughs> fall again. <laughs> Let's make sure you guys get it. Let's up again. I am. Boom. Down. Okay. Now, just to make it clear, I'll go with you. Can you imagine arresting Jesus after you just got knocked on your keister from him just saying two words? How would you be with, could you come this way, sir? You know, they portray it like they just grab him. And I think they were probably going, please don't say I am. Could you come this way? And he's like, I'll go with you. But these go what? Free. Why don't they put that in the movie? They act like Jesus didn't have any power. See, the world doesn't recognize it, but, but does the scripture teach us it? Did he know? Now, I haven't read you this part, but he is going to be betrayed. It said there in John's gospel, he came up the betrayer and Jesus knew. He's like, you're going to, you're going to betray me with a kiss. Can you imagine? Has anyone here ever experienced betrayal? You know, in some form from somebody. First of all, when it comes to being betrayed, if you're betrayed by somebody that's like you're not really that close to, or I, I just want to point this out because there's something that stuck out to me. In the Gospel of Matthew, in this same passage, you know, same moment of time, but what Matthew records, in verse 40, this is Matthew 26, 40 for you note takers. Jesus Matthew records that Judas came in verse 40 and said, Hail, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And verse 50 of Matthew 26 says, And Jesus then said to Judas, Friend, do what you have come for. And I never really caught this until this just it hit me because I've suffered betrayal from people what I considered my friend. 
close friends. And that betrayal is different than the betrayals that I've had that came from some folks I didn't even really know that well. I don't know how to put it. It's how does it feel to you when you're betrayed by someone that really you're you consider your friend hurt deep hurt i mean sometimes wounding that you just undoes you from the inside to me it's like somebody's gutting me from the inside out they're sticking you but in a deep way it's an invisible knife but it doesn't matter it's still ah oh, it can still hurt and jesus calls him friend do you see that right there? The word friend. He really says, friend, do what you have come for. And they laid, they came and laid their hands on Jesus. And I like Matthew. He actually says, Jesus, you know, Peter jumps in, of course, with the sword and strikes off the ear. But Jesus tells him, put it away. He says, do you not think I can appeal to my father? This is why I learned the part about how much in control was Jesus in this moment? Matthew says, Jesus said, don't you think I could appeal to my father and he would at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions. A legion is how many? A thousand. 12,000 angels to protect me. Like, Peter, I really don't need you to whip out the sword right now. If I needed help, I could just ask my father. I I'm thinking, what do you need 12,000 of your angels for? Because... I mean, I've seen what you did with one angel to the Assyrian army in one night. It says the angel of the Lord in one night struck 185,000 of the baddest warriors that we've ever. I mean, historically, these Assyrian warriors were known. They're bad. They made our Green Berets look like, you know, Girl Scouts. They were wicked, bad dudes. And God just took one angel on one night to wipe them out. I'm thinking 12,000 angels, Lord. Yeah, he pretty much got it covered. There, nobody can get to you. And he's like, Peter, stop. Why was he telling Peter to stop? Did Jesus know that there was a cup that he was going to go drink? The cup which the Father has. And he had prayed, Lord, if it's okay, could you let this cup pass? I don't want to drink it. But nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I, I know, and all things are possible with you, God. I know that's what that's what he we studied last week. He prayed, God, everything's possible. We could skip this, but if he would have skipped it, if he would have not drank that cup of punishment for the shedding of his blood, the Lamb of God that shed his blood for our sin, who would be paying for our sin? We would. I don't know. I'll tell you this, but I can't shed my blood to offer it as an offering and then still pop up and walk around. I had this little dilemma. Once you give up my blood, I'm done. In fact, some people don't even recognize this in the Bible. Jesus gave all of his blood. He shed it all for us. And it says in Matthew's gospel, when he rose, he arose flesh and bone. Interesting saying, not flesh and blood. When he was risen, do you guys remember the, the guy doubting Thomas? And he's like, I'm not going to believe unless I stick my finger in the holes in his hands, the holes in his feet, and I reach my hand. Because they were telling him, it's him, it's him, man. He had the holes right in his hand. He had the hole in his side. You could stick your hand in there from that spear they thrust. Yet he was alive. How do you walk around 
with big holes in your body. I mean, this just shows the power of God. Can God make him be alive without the blood? Yes. But to think Jesus would give his blood as that perfect lamb of God. He would shed his blood so my sin would be paid for. That's one of the greatest things. Remember, we have a God that is acquainted with our sufferings. He knows our grief. He knows our pain. And he even let that pain happen to him. So when you start feeling the poor Mimi's, poor me, poor me, poor me, 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 oh. Just remember, Jesus suffered all things for us. That makes me just love him even more. That he would suffer that stuff at the hands of fallen men just so that he could die for us. I mean, it makes me psyched that I have a loving God like that. It encourages me. I pray it encourages you this week. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the big island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.